0: Welcome to the Run From The Norm podcast where we explore what motivates and inspires unique individuals to run from the norms of society by embracing creative self-expression one run and one adventure at a time. I'm your host Jake Reynolds. My guest today is somebody I've known for decades one of the most kind-hearted empathetic and optimistic people I know Trevor Churchman. I love Trevor. He's just a super cool dude that loves his family, loves his job, and absolutely loves getting outside for a great running adventure. Trevor has ran ultra marathons, marathons, half marathons, 5Ks, 10Ks, and everything in between. But the thing that truly sets Trevor apart from most is that he has managed to run every single day for over nine years now. That's right. Every single day for over nine years Mind-bending, I know. Trevor is a veteran and an ER nurse, and we spend plenty of time talking about what life was like on deployment in Iraq, managing mental health as a first responder to some absolutely heart-wrenching scenes, as well as what it was like navigating the COVID pandemic as a healthcare professional. Through it all, he's kept a smile on his face, an empathy in his heart, and an Altoid or two in his mouth. Please join me for this extremely positive and uplifting conversation with my dude, Trevor Churchman. It's time to run from the norm. My guest today on episode six of the Run From The Norm podcast is my good friend, Trevor Churchman. Trevor, thank you for uh, for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This and
0: uh, I've known Trevor for, God, it's probably been, what, 25 years or so yeah. now. And uh, I want to get into something that I think is absolutely amazing and blows my mind is you've been running every single day for over nine years now. And I want to deep dive into what that looks like, what your daily routine is, how you maintain the, the continuation of it through the ups and downs of life that we all hit over the course of nine years. But I'd like to ask you to start out, um, where did you grow up and, and what were you like as a kid? I mean, did you run around the neighborhood? Was it something that you enjoyed when you were young? or
1: Actually, I didn't run earnestly until I was in my 30s. Really? Yeah. As a kid, I was an only child. Um, I'm from Jerome, Idaho, a tiny little town by Twin Falls. But no, I, I wasn't super active. I, I did, played soccer poorly for a while. Uh, I was a mediocre football player in high school. I've got an uncle who ran track, but that was, I mean, I It wasn't sprinting. something that
0: you were interested in necessarily. No,
1: I, I got into football because I loved sprinting and running. I just didn't realize that I could do that without getting my ass kicked. <laughs> um, but no, uh, as a kid, I, I did love getting outside. When I was younger, we lived out in the country, and being an only child, it was like me and my dog. Mm. So we just go wander, you know, the 80s. So you were allowed to be feral. Like my parents would be like, see you when it gets dark, right? Right. Don't get abducted.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Come back with some dirt in your nails.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I did wander a lot and get to play outside. So I had a good feel for it. I liked camping. Mm. Um, but really, honestly, I mean, it's also the generation where Nintendo hit.
0: Oh, yeah. So
1: suddenly there's a whole new world in your bedroom or inside Super Mario
0: Brothers Legend of Zelda.
1: Yeah. And my mom usually worked two or three jobs. So a lot of that time was, yeah, playing Super Mario Brothers three and jamming on that. But I had friends that li- would live a couple miles away and it wasn't a big deal to just go outside and then have to hoof it for a couple miles. And then later as a runner, I, I don't think I realized how important that was or how much I enjoyed it until I was doing it on purpose instead of out of necessity.
0: Yeah. You had mentioned while we were on our run this morning, uh, that you, you're going back uh, past some of these places where you said you grew up and and you have these memories and you're revisiting these places that you were. What's that like?
1: Super therapeutic. Yeah. Um, Cause it's not always good memories, right? Like Mm. you see stuff, you're like, God, that's where something bad happened. And I think there's something freeing about being able to run past it and be like, I'm good. 30 years from now, you're going to be running by on purpose, laughing, enjoying the sunshine. Like everything that feels like it's the end of the world today isn't. So going back and revisiting these places, I mean, I live in the house that I grew up in. I live in the house my mom grew up in. That's my, crazy. My grandpa grew up in. My great-grandparents built a house. What's that like? Well, my kids can't hide anything <laughs> in that house. <laughs> You're the like, hide-and-seek yeah. champion of the house. When we moved in, man, I was like, there might <laughs> still be it. an empty bottle of Southern Comfort in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy, too, because you know, my poor wife's coming in, and she's like, I'm going to paint this. I'm like, you can't paint that. that has been yellow <laughs> since 1952. Like, and We had a house fire. And that was one of the hardest things about going back in that house was every inch of that place had a memory attached to it for me. But it was also good because it was like a fresh start. So then when it became our house after the fire, it was our house, not just... This house that I lived in and my family lived in. And like we talked about, like we ever split up. I get the house because all my pets are buried there. (laughs) Yeah. You know where the bodies (laughs) are buried. exactly. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) So growing up there, you know, my best friend, John, we've been friends since we were in preschool. Back then you're like chicken pox, right? They'd have chicken pox parties because you'd want your kids to get it early so they can develop Mm -hmm. the antibodies immune system. Mm -hmm. And that's how we got paired up is he had chicken pox. My mom sent me over there to get infected and we just never Go get stopped hanging out friend. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Go get chicken pox, come back. And then it is just, we never stopped hanging out and now our kids play and it's kind of a trip. He Do you have a lot of those uh, same friendships that you had when, when you were younger? I'm really lucky. Yeah. So I've got two friends that I've known, you know, John since preschool, my buddy Shane since like second, third grade. Wow. So it's a trip, man. Cause I see his kids playing and our kids are getting into a little teenager trouble and then start bitching about your kid. And then your buddy's like, remember what you were doing? Oh yeah. You're like, I, he's doing
0: okay. Tiff and I keep having that conversation right now with ours too. The kids are going through things and she's like, well, remember what we were doing at that yeah. age? Like,
1: but so, that's different. Oh yeah. I started talking to those guys. I'm like, thank God they're not doing what we were doing. Oh God. Yeah. But the whole community's like that, especially cause I run every day. I see these little parts of town where I have all these memories mm-hmm. or forming new ones or putting things to rest. You know, one of the first things I had a friend a few years ago that I, I had deployed with who, who died. And I ran past that house because one of the officers that showed up on scene called me from there. He knew we were good friends and he kind of broke the news to me. I remember that was a real big part of the grieving process for me was being able to run past there Mm. because it kind of made me feel close to him and like help that grieving process of the most horrible thing in the world happened there. But if I can make it part of my run, I can normalize. It's it's not that place of fear anymore or grieving or sadness is you can kind of internalize and just process that. That's interesting.
0: So what do you think it is that's giving you that perspective to look at it that way? And it's not something that you avoid altogether.
1: Because you run, when you run a route, part of the best feeling of running a really long or, or just a hard run is that feeling of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So I think part of what comes from from embracing that instead of running away from it Is is you're taking ownership of it. It's an experience. Mm-hmm. Every run is an experience and it's, it's full of potential. Yeah. And it's the best part and the worst part. Like let's say you're going on a trail run academically and intellectually, you know there's a potential that you can twist your ankle on this front. Right. So there's a little bit of danger in it. So you teach yourself to acknowledge and discard.
0: So where do you think you learned that? And I'm asking, uh, let me, I guess, let me preface this. I'm asking because we've known each other for, again, a, a long time. And I look back when we were kids, uh, I say kids and we were, you know, late teens, kind of early twenties, yeah. we were, yeah. But our perspective on things was completely different. I mean, we were partying and we were, you know, a little bit more lost and weren't quite so focused on moving ourselves forward. Yeah. Am I leading a little bit
1: too much there? No, no. I think I was always a little introspective. I think it's one of the, the benefits of growing up the only child, right? Mm. For a lot of time, it was just me and my mom. And so my mom worked a lot. I went to live with my grandparents in high school, but I spent a lot of time by myself. And I think as a naturally fairly introspective kid, it was really self-critical. Like mm. it was always, I should be doing better, which isn't always a negative thing. Like we should always have some ambition to be like, I did, I did good today, but I bet I could do a couple more miles tomorrow. Yeah. So it can be healthy, but I do think that it, that introspection comes from a lot of solitude, and that's a double-edged sword. I mean, it's good to be resourceful. Like, it springs to mind. Remember the hatchet? You usually have to read in, like, elementary oh, school. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. That kid learned to live on his own, right? But if you told a kid, like, hey, we're going to drop you off the top of this mountain, you're just going to live through a plane crash. Like, you monster! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a horrible person. What are you doing to me? Right. So the good and bad. The introspection came with it. I had some really good friends that I still have now, and then made friends along the way. And I think... That's why I ran so hard in that direction. Was I felt like I belonged finally, mm. and it wasn't just the partying, but what we were doing, we we're all doing together, right? And we we're genuinely having that's a great fun. Point. Yeah, I mean, it was it was bonding. Yeah, I remember us spending night at Buster's, drinking beers, cleaning the whole place, right? Right. Remember that?
0: That's one of my fondest memories. Yeah,
1: and everybody had a blast. Yeah, and that's I think what it was is
0: sense of community and a sense of purpose. Family. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent.
1: Especially if if you struggled with that as a kid where you didn't have it, I think that's where you see people fall into good and bad trends and groups and and participating in things that may or may not align with their values because they get that sense of belonging.
0: That's a great point. I hadn't really thought about that, that that was probably one of the best things about it is we were all lost. We were all doing our our own thing, but we were still coming together and united around whatever that common goal might happen to be, which, you know, we were clean and everything at that point. But it was fun. Yeah. It was just the point of being together.
1: Yeah, the common point. Exactly. Yeah. Doing things together and having fun and just being ourselves. And that was and that's an ultra running community.
0: There. I was just gonna say that. Yeah. yeah.
1: You find people who are eccentric and come from totally disparate backgrounds, right? Yep. Like I remember the first River No Return is coming out of that second aid station going up and I'm running next to this guy and I was kinda passing him. We were kinda leapfrogging just a little bit and he's an older And guy. you pushed him in the bushes
0: and you ran past him. Yeah, because he's probably still there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I was, actually it was my, like my first year as a nurse. Mm. And I wound up talking to this guy and he was a physician from the same area. Oh, wow. So we started chatting. He's giving me insight, like, well, here's what you should look out for. Like, this is what really good nurses do. And it went on for a few miles and I headed down a path because it was a little faster at the time. And that's the beauty of of that running is everybody there is generally a runner, Yeah. Not a lot of people sign up for an ultra if they hate running. Yeah. Yeah. hearts of running <laughs> so you are instantly provided that sense of community you instantly have something common with yeah them. like that translates directly into nursing one of the things that i love about being a nurse is developing like rapport or relationships even very briefly in the emergency department especially if somebody's really agitated right like somebody it's, that's probably the worst day of their life if they're in the er they didn't want to come down there yeah it's something bad prompted and they had to go in and put themselves in a very vulnerable position where they're going to take their clothes off and strangers are going to poke them with sharp implements and ask them really deeply personal questions. And being able to find something in common with them is one of those first steps. A lot of times I'm getting vital signs. Where are you from? You know, what do you like to do? Or, you know, if they've got a bunch of tattoos, we'll start talking tattoos and you find that, that common ground that can start leading to that relationship. You start building trust. Yeah. Whereas out on a trail, you know, that dude runs you got something in common and then you wind up having these hour long conversations on a long run with a total stranger. And then you just kind of find leave. out you
0: have more in common than you don't.
1: Yeah. And then hit the aid station. and one of you leaves you may never see him again, or you may see him at the finish line or not, but for half an hour, you had this best friend to run with. I don't yeah. know coming out of bay horse river no return where it just sucks the whole way yeah like it's well, straight up forever and you're like i can't quit because this dude's next to me he's jackass won't no quit either so I, <laughs> yeah, I might as well keep going yeah. Yeah. so you develop these great little mini relationships and you talk about veterans coming back that's the other thing is you get these relationships in the military of people with totally different backgrounds totally different beliefs who suddenly are best friends forever that outside of that environment without you know, essentially trauma bonding or like they may have never even spoken to each other, but now they're super dedicated to their loyal to each other. You see those guys maintain those relationships forever from across the country. And and I think running is pretty similar. And you have that shared experience that's special, whether it's good or bad, because there's, there's great on both. Like there's been days that suck running. There's been days that sucked in the military and they had great days on both. But you share those with people that only a handful of people that you get to talk to understand it. Same with nurses. It's, it's a weird surreal situation doing compressions and CPR trying to save someone's life and being able to laugh like looking at somebody across from you and there's just the ridiculousness of the situation and how high stakes it is without context it could sound terrible but like I did last week we had a good outcome I talked to the lady night before last at the hospital she's like Man, my chest hurts. I'm like, well, that's because I broke your ribs. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was beating on you. Yeah,
0: but how do you maintain that then? Because you've been through some serious shit. I mean, through the military and some of the things that you've experienced and places you've gone, and then now you've been through a few different uh, components of being a nurse, ER. You you were lived through the COVID times as a nurse. What are you doing outside of running? Or maybe it is all around running. What it what? helps you maintain such a healthy and happy focus and outlook on things. I mean, do you, are you reading books? Are you listening to podcasts? Is it music? You're an amazing artist. Are nice. you getting the outlet through your art?
1: Yeah. It's like this giant Venn diagram, right? Mm. I have all these concentric surgicals that meet up in the middle and I'm super lucky. I have this great family. My wife who you think is every day for over nine years, I take off. For good or bad, part of running is you have to be a little bit on the selfish side once in a while. Right. In a healthy way. Yeah. And for the longest time, I struggled with realizing that it's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to prioritize yourself a little bit.
0: There's a difference between the healthy level of selfish and being self-centered.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you nailed it. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to say, I, I deserve the effort of putting some focus on myself every day. But my wife, she picks up that slack. Like if a kid needs picked up from school or dinner, like she's super supportive of no, I got it because I mean, on the back end, she's doing herself a favor because God, nobody wants to see me without some run without getting some <laughs> <run> time in. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: Tiff's the same way. It's, oh, you need to get outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, have you gone for a run
1: yet? Yeah. No. yeah, maybe maybe it's time. It's about time. So I've had a lot of support there, and you know, we talked on the run a little bit about, about imposter syndrome, and I still get that a little bit because I show up like Wilson Creek. Yeah. I was at the front of the line, starting with you and Jose Cervantes, and I was like. This is not a survivable situation.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. And everyone else is looking around thinking the same thing. Right.
1: And that's the beauty of, of running. I think it humbles you is there's always somebody a little bit faster. And if they're not yeah. in this race, there's somebody out there training who's going to be. It's a great point. And at first I was like, I got to be that guy. I, I need to work hard. I need to be faster. I need to, you collect a couple medals and you're like, you feel really accomplished. But you also feel like, well, shit, now I got it. What win. do I
0: do now? Pressure's on. Yeah. You got
1: an ultra sign up. You look at the finishing results and you're out there. You're like, well, now I got to be that guy. Yeah.
0: You post a picture on social media and now yeah. it's like the next one's coming. You know, people
1: paying attention. I got to show them running yeah. faster. Especially people who aren't in it and don't understand. Like yeah. every run's different. like, oh, you're like David Goggins, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> God, no. <laughs> on the
0: other end of that, to them you might be. That goes back to your point of context for people that don't really understand the differences of, you know, Goggins is kind of on a level all his own, yeah. but at the same point to them and where they're at, what you're doing is kind of that level. And, and
1: I'm super, super lucky. I stumbled into running literally.
0: That's a great segue. Let's, let's go with that. What got you interested in running? What caught your attention initially in the first place? And then after having that curiosity, what actually made you do it?
1: Um, I was legally mandated because I joined the national guard and the uh-huh. PT test. So periodically you have to run a two mile run and do push-ups and sit-ups and talk to most anybody who's been in the army. You had to do PT tests. ups aren't bad. Sit-ups kind of suck. Everybody dreads the run. Mm. And I was the same way. And I'd been in for several years before we deployed. Sometimes you have downtime, like you're pretty restricted, right? So you're like, you can go to the gym and everybody wants to get yoked. And I was no different. Like, everybody wants to work on glamour muscles and have a huge chest, biceps, all that shit. Yeah. And then I would do the token effort of I wanted to do well on the run because my first two PT tests did great on push ups, pretty good on sit ups. And I remember the first time I did a run at Gallon Field in Boise, I crossed the finish line and threw up. Oh, wow. Because I had to push, man. It wasn't because I was like trying to be a rock star. I was literally like, holy shit, I'm going to fail this run. And that was, at my age group, I had like 17 or 18 minutes to run two miles. And it was a stretch, man. I had, wow. like, kicking it in the ass to come to the finish line because I didn't want to fail. You didn't fail your PT test. I mean, ultimately, you can get discharged. So Everything's riding on that. Yeah. Because if you fail a PT test, you're flagged. You can't get a promotion f- until you pass one. You lose out on training. And you look like a shit bag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a shit bag. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So when we were deployed, though, like, that was part of the thing is I wanted to get a 300 my PT test, which is, like, your max score. It's the max amount of points you can get in every category.
0: And what happens if you get a 300?
1: You feel real cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, you get a little, I think I got a little patch. Oh, okay. But it also counts promotion points. But you're living in a fishbowl, right? So there's very little room for accomplishments.
0: And that gives you just that little bit yeah. of a leg up.
1: Yeah. And it's an environment where everybody's competitive. I was in with all dudes. We are deployed. There's a little bit of competition. Same thing at the range. Everybody wants to be the best shooter. You want to be good at PT. And there was a lot of guys, you know, PT studs that like were benching like 325, just yoked, but generally struggled on their run. And then I figured out over time, like, cause I get on the treadmill and that's how I train for it is I crank the treadmill up and see how long I could sustain like a six minute pace. Huh. And then I started noticing like getting off the treadmill, like well, maybe I'll do three miles. Cause I was starting to get that chemical release of feeling pretty good.
0: Feels real good yeah, when I you're done. Great.
1: So I do like three miles and I'm like, shit, that's okay. And then when we were coming home, I mean, cause they try and prepare you pretty well. It's not like. It used to be, I think, especially like the Vietnam guys, like literally they'd finish their tour in Vietnam, get dropped off at a bus station. All right, cool. Go. Good luck. Live. Hmm. Which is why they had incredibly high suicide rates and they had a really bad environment coming back to ours is much better. I got free coffee at Dallas Fort Worth Airport. They lined us like it was great. But they tell you coming back, like you need to find a hobby. You need to set some goals because when you get home, you are not going to feel like you are home.
0: Do they help you with showing you how to set a goal? What's a realistic goal? Or do they just say, hey, you know, you need a goal. Go figure out how to. How Pretty to- much. Really?
1: Yeah. Because, you know, there's a ton of us coming through, right? And everybody wants to get home. And I remember being in line and they're like, the guy in front of me who deployed before is like, hey, when they're doing their questionnaire, just remember everything is no. Because if you say yes to anything, they're going to pull you aside. They're going to want to do counseling or some bullshit where you're going to get hung up for like another couple of weeks. And so no matter what happened, you didn't see anything, nothing bad happened. You're great mentally. Just let me go. Shut up and get through line. Well, yeah, I want to get home. So that's what I did, which in retrospect, if we could change that culture a little bit and look at more as, Hey, you're in this line, you have the opportunity to get a bunch of resources going home where you're not going to want to go home and drink yourself to sleep every day.
0: Do you think that's just kind of a macho culture of it coming out or?
1: Well, yeah. And it's just a natural, everybody wants to get through line, right? And okay. it's a pain in the ass and nobody wants to talk about Cause you're also talking to people who maybe never deployed. It Might be mm. a civilian counselor who's real warm and fuzzy. And I just spent 10 months interact with a bunch of dudes where warm and fuzzy was not the culture. Yeah. So I don't want to talk. You don't relate. Him. Yeah. This guy doesn't get me. i am be like, yeah, you know, we're taking mortar rounds or whatever. And he's like, Oh, what's that like? I'm like, well, I really don't feel compelled to educate you right now. And I'm just trying to get through this line to get home. Cause so I got to go fail a hearing test in a few minutes. <laughs> Cause I don't wear goddamn a goddamn <laughs> earphone. But <laughs> I can it, tell
0: you a bunch of words, but I can't actually get across to you what the real right. experience was like.
1: Right, because you've already done it, right? Mm. They're already going to say, oh, that's." I'm so sorry, that's got to be really difficult. And they mean it, and they're sincere, and it's an inconvenience. Yeah, And, and I try to keep that in mind as, as a nurse, too, is empathy is one of the most valuable skills any human being can walk around with. And it gets stronger the more you use it. I think mutual suffering is good for that. It makes you understand... The idea of someone else's perspective.
0: Yeah. I think you're you absolutely nailed it.
1: If everybody could employ it a little bit more, I think there's a lot of problems that could be alleviated by just taking a minute and, and not even purely altruistic. Like as a nurse, I have very limited time, especially in an ER where it's fast paced, right? So the sooner I get a patient to cooperate with me, as soon as I can help them understand, I need to get this IV started, I need to draw some blood, I need to do that so I get medication on board and get some fluids going because the guy next door might be having a heart attack, I need to get my ass in gear. Mm-hmm. That guy in the next room is not their problem. Right. They might care, but it's purely academic. So if I can develop some empathy with them and I can understand where they're coming from and create rapport with them where they genuinely feel and understand that I care, and that I'm moving fast, not because I don't care about them, but because I care about all my patients. They're a lot more tolerant with me moving fast, getting the IV started, getting these things done, because they don't get that sense that, oh, he's just trying to get out of the room. They understand I'm trying to get to the next room. That's what benefited me, was slowing down and thinking, if I had to come in here and get undressed by a stranger, and then wait, and wait, and wait, because it takes forever doctors to get in, because they're doing doctory stuff, and nurses are usually understaffed, right? So we're in the next room, then we come running in, And all of a sudden we're in a hurry and they're like, well, you're in a hurry now, but I've been sitting here for an hour waiting for somebody and I'm a little salty about it. If I can understand why they're salty, because they've been waiting an hour and I can acknowledge like, Hey man, I know you've been really patient. Thanks for waiting so long. I was tied up in another room, but you are important. So I brought your medication with me. It's a twofold benefit. It helps them feel more comfortable and helps me do my job Yeah, and helps move faster. So there is some selfish intent where I need to get to the next room.
0: But in in the way of getting what you need, you're giving them even more of what they want.
1: Yeah. If I can create that empathy between the two of us, it's a pretty powerful thing, right? Yeah.
0: Like, so how, how do you maintain that? Sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. How, how do you maintain that? Because I'm assuming you're surrounded by other nurses that might not feel the same as you do, that might not approach situations the same as you do, especially when you're in this pressure cooker environment. What are you doing and what habits or thoughts or tricks do you employ to make sure that you keep yourself in that headspace? Well.
1: I go through a lot of Altoids. I, get, I, get <laughs> I noticed Altoids. that we were sitting out there. I saw you <laughs>
0: rifling through your Altoids. Yeah, that's the trick. The huh? case.
1: Yeah, uh, I got that from my mom actually. Huh. Um,
0: I, I, I guess I need to buy some Altoids. You yeah, absolutely. Sure.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's been beneficial to my career as well. And honestly, you get somebody in a high pressure environment like being a, a patient in an emergency department. They can be snappy, especially if they've had to wait. Sometimes they've had to wait in the lobby for hours to get back. Mm-hmm. You know? So they're pissed off as soon as you and they're not you. feeling good and they fire at you. And there there's literally been times where I walked into a patient's room, somebody had like toe pain or a cough and they're pissed off. They're waiting. I just walked out of a room where somebody died and they're like, well, it took you long enough. And I'm like popping open a can of Altoids and take one out. gives me that three seconds. Interesting. To pause and be like, okay, hey, from their perspective, they waited a long time to get in here. They finally got in here and then they had to wait longer. They don't know.
0: What you just went through. What
1: I just walked out of.
0: That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought of it like that.
1: So I can't punish them because it's real easy to be like, you know what, asshole? I just got done starting two IVs on a two-year-old and they were screaming and their parents are scared. Fuck you, man.
0: Yeah. And you stubbed your
1: toe. Right. (laughs) But in their world. That's serious. That's a big deal. Right. Right. Like it was enough to motivate them to incur the exorbitant, unreasonable cost of healthcare to come down, sit in the lobby, wait, get undressed, get hooked up to a machine and then be from their perspective forgotten about for half an hour. Mm. So if I got treated like that, like I could see why they'd be a little pissy. Sure. And I have the advantage of working in healthcare where I know chances are the next room something's happening. Yeah. So Altoids give me that pause. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's all tools for empathy.
0: Well, and that kind of ties in where a lot of people react and they don't take the time to respond. To your point, you have that can of Altoids and somebody's snippy with you. You're giving yourself that mental moment to slow down and consider your response rather than snapping back and being like, you know, well, fuck off. I, you know, you have no idea what I just went through right, right now, and, but I'm in here and I want to take care of you. So if you get over yourself, you know, let's get to business here so I can get to the next problem next door. Right. Super interesting.
1: One of the things I pulled out of school is bioreaction, right? Your sympathetic versus your parasympathetic nervous response. And that's usually what they call as fight or flight. And it talked a lot of, it's called a bioreaction where, you know, Tiff kicks in the door right now. We're both going to like, your heart rate shoots up. Eyes dilate, like you have that physiological response, which is evolutionary, right? Like responding to predators and fear, and, yeah. and that's stimulated largely by emotion as well. So, learning about that clinically helped me manage it more when somebody bites me out or a doctor yells at me for something I have no control over, and I want to go back at him and be like, "Look, asshole!" And I'm like, "Okay, he's also got a full caseload of patients, and maybe he's stressed out because something isn't going right, like."
0: And if I snap back, what's that going to... What's
1: my ultimate goal? Yeah. And that goes the same back to ultra running. Like ultimately, the biggest thing that I've taken out of running is the person I'm most competitive with is myself. And my biggest goal coming out of a run is I just, I just want to have a good run.
0: Maybe we'll jump into in there. So when you were first kind of getting into running more, you said you line up and you're looking at the people around you and I don't belong here, imposter syndrome, which we've all struggled with. At what point through your running journey, did that start to shift to where you were like, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with who I am and my place in this and what I'm going to get out of it. A couple of
1: things. Part of it was running, part of it was some, like the EMDR therapy we talked about. Mm.
0: And for those, because I, oh, I wasn't as yeah. familiar either, can you explain a little bit what EMDR th- yeah. therapy so is? Yeah, so EMDR
1: please. is fascinating therapy and you know, counseling is different for everybody. It affects everybody differently with varying degrees of success. For me, I had into had another counselor recommended it, We talked about it with some of our social workers in the ER because we talked about trauma patients because we get a lot of psych and veterans because we tend to be guinea pigs, right? Get blown up in IEDs for 10 years in Afghanistan, gave a lot of research. EMDR is the same way. And essentially what it does is it uses both hemispheres of the brain and helps neurologically reprogram these memories that I had no idea would be so profoundly linked to things that happen when you're a little kid to the way you behave today is essentially in this vast, beautiful network in your brain. And they're all connected. And I think we tend to think of memories as these individual chunks of our lives that are stored on a shelf in our head, when in fact, it's much more of a spider web or Hmm. ivy. Like there's one seed that plants out and all these little roots grow out and they touch each other and they're all related. So if you've got one that's stored in a way that activates that sympathetic or parasympathetic nervous system response, a traumatic event gets stored in your brain and it gets stored in the context of when you were experiencing it. So if you have another experience that's through that network tied to it, it also stimulates that same response. You may be totally unaware of it, but your heart rate's going to speed up. You're going to have anxiety because your brain is telling you that you are in an unsafe environment and there is a threat. And that's hard to live with every day.
0: Do you think over time that becomes so convoluted and there's so many different spider webs tied together that it's easy to even lose track and have no immediate knowledge of what the specific cause of oh, it all is.
1: Absolutely. That was one of the most fascinating things about doing EMDR was, was learning things that are linked that I never in a million years would have put together. Hmm. And a lot of EMDR is like, okay, where are you at now? And you're like, well, I'm, I'm six and I'm in my bedroom and this happened. Like, okay, you're in a safe place, blah, blah. Hey, where are you at now? And you're like, oh shit, I'm like 25 living in twin. Like, why would that be related? Like you have to pause and be like, why would that be related? Hmm. But they are. And sometimes it's just because, the way they're stored in your brain is they touch each other. Like your life is not a series of
0: secular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. That's what I'm looking for. Like everything is interconnected, right? And that's Mm -hmm. one of the beauties of life is friendships that last 25 years. Yeah. And this therapy is able to remove some of that context where you can look at it more clinically and you can experience it, but you no longer have to re-experience it.
0: Instead of just re-experiencing, you can work through.
1: Instead of living it, you're watching it on TV. Hmm. It was super helpful for me. And it is a trip. I mean, like I was telling you, social worker's like, it's like doing ketamine, man, because it alters your perception of reality. And it, it truly does.
0: I'm going to have to look into that more because it sounds extremely interesting. And I also think that as we get older, you get more introspective. And, you know, where am I now? How did I get here? Is this the person I want to be? Am I, you know, moving myself in the direction that I want to go? But you don't necessarily do the work that you need to actually kind of step yourself back to work through the things that you probably never worked through in the first place. You just maybe bottled them up and, you know, pushed them down and pushed them here and, and not really giving it the full consideration of they might be driving you in a direction that you might not want to go.
1: When you look at runners, we're notorious for, uh, I could walk it off. Yeah. You know? Right. But you look at how much effort we put into, like you're talking about getting older. I think one of the things you start looking more at preventative maintenance, right? Yeah. <coughs> Colonoscopies, <laughs> or, you know, get your yeah. blood pressure checked. All that fun stuff. But as runners... We get new shoes. If we get a hamstring strain, we go get a massage or we get it looked at. If you roll an ankle, you go and get an x-ray. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. But we
1: walk around with emotional trauma or, or these haunting memories. And then just be like, well, that's just part of who I am. I'm just fucked up, but we don't do that if our leg doesn't work. Cause we got to run. Right. It's the same as if you sign up for a hundred miler. You're not going to wait till that day to be like, I guess I should start running.
0: Do you think that that's because there's still stigma around mental health and Absolutely. addressing mental health? Or do you think it, and maybe it's a combination of both of these, or do you think it's most people don't know where to start?
1: I think there's a, there's 100% of stigma and Idaho sucks for mental health. Yeah, I think there is a stigma that people tend to latch onto and there's this weird thing. And I don't know if it's guys because I hate to base things on on like gender or anything like that. Because I, th- I think a lot of stuff gets applied that's irrational. But I know in nursing in particular and the army, there's a lot of flag waving about. Look how much trauma I've been through. Like I'm so fucked up, bro. Mm. I'm a mess, man. Almost like proud it's a badge
0: of, of honor, right? Mm.
1: And it's it shouldn't be like that. Like,
0: but they're not continuing that conversation of. And this is what I'm doing to actually right? work through it. It's
1: just. And I was guilty of it, man. I mean, you get paramedics together, EMTs, real ER nurses, it's war stories. Like, oh, I saw this guy, man, like 12 bullet wounds. Like, the worse it is, the more traumatic it is, we talk about it. And, and I think it's kind of a a backhanded way of sharing. Like, working on an ambulance, I sit with paramedics and EMTs, we start telling little war stories, and a lot of it's, like, horrible things to endure. There's one scene that, that I wish I had known about and been way more open to counseling when it happened, but long story short, is a guy that was in a fully engulfed vehicle. And I had to get him out afterwards as a oh my guy God. in the apartment, And it was like, when we were soldiers, man. I'm trying to pull this guy out and meat just coming off my hands. Oh my goodness. Terrible, right? But for the longest time, that was like a badge of honor for me. Like I survived this, I did this. And so when we're all sharing stories about, oh yeah, you did the burn guy. Well, check this out. I had this kid who blah, blah, And we're sharing these stories when it should be in a professional setting or talk to him, be like, well, how'd you deal with that? Yeah. And most of time it's like, oh, I didn't. And at the time I derailed my life significantly because I didn't. At the time the culture I was in, I was working as a 911 dispatcher. So we in law enforcement. I was working on getting onto a fire department and I grew up, my grandma's a nurse. My mom's an intermediate AMT. Like yeah. Nurse, I wanted to that, ask
0: I, like what led you into nursing?
1: Uh, empathy. But at the time the culture, especially working with law enforcement was we'll just go drink whiskey and
0: hmm. not
1: talk about feelings. we'll just get super trashed and then it'll be fine. And just nobody will talk about it. And I wound up just grenading myself emotionally I up losing a job because that was the thing is everybody wanted to be John Wayne, right? Like you just go drink and party and pretend like it doesn't bother you. Cause that's how you show how tough you are. Yeah. And then later you blow up and kick the dog across the living room because something happened that was completely unrelated, but nothing like that is unrelated. If you don't deal with it, everything moving forward has been touched by that. Yeah. So that's my, my big thing. And that's where running saved me, I think a lot and coming back kind of, circle back to ask well, what got me into it? Mm-hmm. it was when we came home I wanted to set a goal and I think I had talked to you about running a little bit in the past I was doing three four miles a day there when we were in Iraq either around the little fob base that we were on or on a treadmill and I'd gotten to the point where I'd, I'd like to be out running
0: yeah I remember we started getting into more dialogue and I, I was pretty sure that it wasn't right at the start of your running journey because you started asking some questions and then next thing I know you're years deep into this
1: I go hard, man. Uh, yeah. i mean, idiot. Like if I do something like this is pretty cool. And that's the thing. I think it comes back to addictive personalities, right? Yeah. But instead of wanting to drink till 4 a.m., I'm like, oh, I could run. And I like this. So I'm going to do this a lot. And that's what happened is I remember you recommended Famous Potatoes. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's, I'm getting home in September. It gives me about a year. And uh, I wound up injuring myself. I had to do it the next, next go around. But what happened was... They had told us set a goal and I talked to you and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a half. Then I read born to run and I bought some toe shoes. So I ordered them when I was in Iraq, they got there. I was so stoked the same day the package arrived from Vibram. We got a memorandum from our Sergeant major. that Those were banned in the army. You couldn't wear them. Really? Yeah. They said they were unprofessional and we weren't allowed to wear them. Interesting. Yeah. And I was pissed. And at the time I was running in like $150 pair of Nike Air Maxes. Right. And I'm like, their Nikes are going to be the best. I hadn't read born to run yet. But I'd run four miles, and then the next day it was like I was 80. I couldn't get out of bed. My hips and my knees. Are you knees getting shin just, splints? Oh, bad.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is about Nikes, and I hate to bang on them because I actually really love their trail shoes. But um, every time I start talking to people and they start talking about injuries or calf pains or right. shin splints, you can I always ask them, "Were you running in Nikes?"
1: That's my first question. That people ask you know, like, you know, does your any people are like, how do you run like that? Like, don't you ever get injured? You're like, no, and they're like, yeah, I can't run because my knees hurt. And my first is like, what are you wearing? Yeah, and it's not because I'm a shoe whore. I mean again, I am a creature of habit. I've got right. 25 pairs of Ultras in my closet, much to my well, wife. Well, you find, you find <laughs> what
0: works and, and everybody's a little bit different. And, but, uh, anyway.
1: But yeah, that's, you know, I was wearing those. And then when we got home, they, they tell you on the box, dude, like, Hey, if you're starting out running, just do like a mile or two. Yeah. So I ran a mile or two and I felt great. Right. my like, fucking they don't know. <laughs> so I did five miles and my calves rolled up into my but was, <laughs> I hadn't used that part Something of my thing well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. I was like, well, and that and the sheer aggravation trying to put those goddamn shoes on the first. Oh, thing. yeah. I, like I never did it. Show. I never did the toe shoes. Loved them. Really? The only, I
0: love, I love in gingy toe socks, right? But I, I never did the toe shoes. I did get into the minimal. We can go off oh, on yeah. a tangent of, you know, of shoe tech. Ta- ta- oh, yeah. Yeah. Zero drop yeah. Or, or low drop because I do like lower drop shoes. Same. Um, but, uh, Anyway, I'll,
1: yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll steer we'll, us in we'll, a different direction there. But but yeah, and I wore those for a long time. The only reason I switched out to the Pearl Azumi is I reached out to you because after 15 miles of road on a pair of you know, vibrant Baquilas, like they were great, but the bottoms of my feet were just hammered dude, because I was just slapping blacktop. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, we started with the... Like the Pearl Zoomies, like the N ones, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, well, this is a whole new world." Mm-hmm. And then with the Ultra's, when Pearl folded, and I got the wide toe box because I get big, long monkey toes, man. Like, <laughs> but it makes a difference. And Born to Run, like I hate to be that guy, like, "Oh, you guys need to read that book," but you
0: should. Well, and it's funny because this last conversation I just had uh, with Dan Button, he's a two thirty three marathoner, and God. you know we were talking, and it, that's what did it for him. it. Really, it just it was a huge catalyst to many people being exposed to the running world in a way that they never had before. And it really, you know, it changed the nature of the conversations, if nothing and else.
1: And I think it made it more approachable
0: Maybe Yeah, for guys Absolutely. like me
1: that had, because how many people are you know, like, Oh, I only run around being chased. Right. And we did,
0: we discussed it too, as we, we have those conversations where, you know, we run, run around with the flag. If anybody can run. Yeah. And, but with the success of born to run, it really started making people believe it and the sport blew up, which I love seeing. I love seeing more and more people taking
1: Healthy choices
0: yes healthy choices and doing mental health exactly and that and see and that's the the fortunate byproduct of why I love to promote running so much is i love the exercise i just say exercise is a healthy byproduct of it yeah for me it's it's a mental health thing and let's get into your run streak you ran every single day for for nine years how do you balance that and how much with your other responsibilities you know uh, family and and work and all that and how much of it is for the exercise and how much is it to maintain mental health
1: Honestly, like 90 mental health. Yeah. 10, I mean, I enjoy being healthier. Like I said, when I enlisted, I was I was over 200 pounds, man.
0: Hmm. And as I was gonna say, how tall I'm are tiny. you? tiny. Yeah, you're not a big dude. Yeah, I'm
1: like 145 now, maybe. Well, right and how tall are you? 5'5". Five, five. Wow, yeah. Army says 5'5 five, five but I think they were being dangerous. Take it. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you weren't wearing your five fingers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was wearing I was very thick boots. But the streak came about uh, curiosity. Actually, my uncle was a big track guy. He ran at BSU was a state champion in high school. Oh, wow. So I was kind of, I, I knew So about you went life.
0: into it with intention. I'm going to start this run streak.
1: I did. It was curiosity and I needed to change something. I was in nursing school. I was stressed out. I knew I loved running mm-hmm. and I knew it was good for me. And my wife had been super supportive and saying stuff like, have you gone for a run today? And not even like a criticism, like, hey, you're being an asshole. Maybe you should go for a run. Although well, was probably a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it was like, I think she genuinely saw the Trev that came home was happier than the Trev that left. Yeah. And... I think I talked to you and my uncle had done it. He just put it as one of his yearly goals. I think the year before he was like, I want to see if I can run for a year.
0: Hmm. So I was like, "Shit, I didn't know maybe
1: that. I should give it a try. Like cause I knew you ran, like I knew perfectly a few people. There's not a huge running community where I'm at. And in all fairness, I'm pretty self isolated when it comes to that. Like I haven't, there are running groups. I'm sure I just have never sought them out.
0: Cause so you normally, you run the majority of the time by yourself.
1: Almost entirely. Yeah. Today's is the first time I've run with a partner and, I remember that time you ran to Boise from Twin. Yeah, that was probably the last time I ran to somebody. Really, more than a couple miles. Like I'll meet with somebody and i can like, hey, I want to get any running run. Will you run with me? I'm like, absolutely, hundred percent. So I run with them, kind of like, all right, and get them sailing on their own. And but ninety nine percent of the time, it's definitely by myself. Yeah. But with the streak, I was like, I wonder how long I can do this because I and I honestly didn't think I could do a year. Day one was New Year's in Salt Lake City. It's hungover. I was with a buddy Zach. We were visiting another Army buddy, and I was like, Well, I'm doing it. I talked a bunch of shit. So I ran around Salt Lake, did a few miles, and then it just clicked. And so I did a year. And that, that first year, there was a lot of, I got to maintain the streak. But over time, it's just like, I honestly don't think about it a whole
0: lot. It just became a part it's of just, who you just are. It's
1: part of my day. I brush my teeth every day. I wash my face. like I go for a run. And at first, I thought it would be a lot more difficult to build into my day. Hmm. And it's not. Like If you're willing to prioritize something, you can yeah. do
0: it. You, you can find we do time. it every
1: day. Like you prioritize work.
0: Well, like we were talking to earlier is those times when you only have 10, 15 minutes, yeah. that's a mile.
1: Yeah. You I know, and, and, and a mile
0: in. you can sneak a mile in and the times that you only have 10 or 15 minutes in the day to sneak in a mile are the times that you need it the most.
1: Absolutely. And there's been times I got up a little early and there's times like, I know I'm being ridiculous, like, yeah. but I also know that God, I'm so much happier with running. Yeah. So I'm making an active choice to put my health first and the people around me. Like, I think my wife would definitely support. Like, I'm a better person as a runner than I was before. Yeah. Tiff's the same with me. Yeah. And I and will
0: say though, it's funny because when I did the streak back in 2012, I don't know how many times it, I'm looking at the clock, you know, d- different place drinking a lot. And mm-hmm. um, that was a mess, <laughs> but, but you know, I get my run in and I'd look at the clock after being out at the bar, hanging out with the music buddies yeah. and, and it's 1130. 11 45 and we're creeping up on midnight i remember one time grant and i I hate to admit this i made him pull over while i was still in my jeans and my converse i don't know how many runs i did in my jeans and converse because it was last minute and i just take off I booking with time. six or seven minutes left to midnight hauling ass to make sure i got it in before <laughs> that's the, like my the biggest stroke fear. then i was like okay i'm going i'm gonna keep going a few more I miles now yeah. yeah
1: and that's how it starts is especially those runs where you're like i don't God damn it. I want to run today. Yeah. Cause I haven't too. Like, and I, Oh yeah. We all have those meeting. days
0: where I don't want to.
1: And my wife actually nailed that one. Cause there's some time I'm like, I just don't want to go today. And she's like, then that's probably the day you need it the most. Yeah. And she was exactly right. And then I think it was supposed to be one of those. All right. I'm going to go and do like four or five. And then 15 miles later I get home. I'm like, thanks babe. Yeah.
0: Like, needed that. Yeah.
1: hundred. And then there's
0: those times where it's negative temperatures. We've had negative temperatures lately or deep snow or hundred yeah, plus degrees. True. And And like today, you know, it was dumping on us and walked outside. We didn't even look at each other, you know, a second time. It's like, there's no question. Are we doing it? It's like, yeah. And we enjoyed the hell out of it the the whole way. And it ended up being what? 10 miles.
1: Yeah. That's (laughs) the freeing thing about like deciding it's going to happen is it takes away the pressure of the debate. Right. That's yeah. So when you're talking to be like, are you going to run today? Obviously yeah. it's not, you're not getting up like lacing up, like how am I going to go today? Because if you're questioning it, then there's a chance that you won't. So you're yeah. giving yourself that out. And I think Chris McDougall talked about in his book is like evolutionarily speaking, your body is going to lean towards being sedentary, right? Because as you evolve, you want to conserve that energy. Yeah. So your body and there's going to be part of your brain. It's like, you don't need to run, dude. It's just it's exercise. And it's I need suck. it.
0: I find comfort in movement. Yeah. Even when I'm not running, Tiff will give me shit because I struggle with sitting still. Yeah, there's just something calming about getting out and moving your body. And then the farther you get into it, the troubles start to fall away. The stress is a little bit less difficult to deal with.
1: I very rarely had a personal conundrum that could hang for a 25 mile run. Right. I got my demons, but they don't have the cardio, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what needs to be on the next t-shirt. Yeah.
1: There's been bad nights at work, bad nights at home. I can be grouchy. And I'm a busy guy.
0: You it's- are. So some of the other things that you do, you teach speech at the high school you were talking about. You do work with adaptive athletes.
1: Yeah, which has been another huge benefit. And it all kind of dominoes in, right? As soon as you start saying yes and believing that like, oh, I can do stuff, I can do hard things. And that's one of the mottos of the adaptive thing is, is everybody can climb. Like we have kids with cerebral palsy. We have uh, paraplegics. We have these people that can barely literally physically can can hardly move and they're climbing these walls they might be in a suspension rig that we set up that we help them get up the wall but like the glee and joy of helping people exercise and move like that's the thing is i was never like an adhd kid like i wasn't running all over the classroom i was i never had that issue i was really lucky but it didn't come for me for a place of oh i can't sit still i figured out in my 30s i just like moving man yeah and that's, it went into adaptive. And, Shifting your perspective. Yeah. And adaptive, I got to go to the, a national festival where it's all these adaptive athletes from all over the world and the country that come together in Kentucky for like, it's like the Shangri-La of rock climbing, Red Rocks in Kentucky.
0: Mm.
1: And these are like sponsored athletes. Like I think people didn't think of adaptive climbers like, oh, it's a kid with no legs or a kid with cerebral palsy. They're helping them up. These are guys that are sponsored by major climbing companies that are doing like 5.11 routes. That I couldn't do on my best day. And they're just cruising it with one arm. Wow. There's and I'm guessing
0: guy. there's no question in their mind that whether they can, it's they are going to do.
1: Right. Oh dude. And working with visually impaired climbers and nobody makes fun of a handicap more than disabled people. They are hilarious <laughs> and cynical <laughs> and sarcastic. Like I could just go on, and on about stories of these amazing people. It was cool. There's the guys that I with, we we're sitting around the campfire. We we're talking like it was a very surreal feeling. You felt like the odd man out. We're the weird kids in class because we don't have any disabilities. We've got all our limbs and extremities and and no major diagnoses. And we're the weird ones here. It's super neat and it really is good for your context and your appreciation. Humbling. Yeah. Well, and goddamn, I'm a lucky dude. Like, and that's the way I look at my running. Part of the reason it's been easy to maintain a streak is every run I see something that I wouldn't have seen if I hadn't left the house. Every trail. Just run around Jerome, like everyone's same four miles. If I have to work and I woke up late,
0: you know your route, you I know how long it'll take.
1: Eyes closed, man. But yeah, every day, there's those. something else that I didn't see, and it might be something really good, something really bad. But generally, it's always a lot of people wave. I try and wave as many people as I can.
0: I had somebody that used to give me shit about that because uh, I wave at everybody, and nice, yeah, and, and, and it's just me. Oh no, I wave <laughs> at everybody, and he was like, You know, they're not waving back, and I was like, You know what, but I still be waving, yeah, oh. I, you know, I will wave at everybody, but. The ones that do, it makes your day. You see their face light up, it lights you up, and uh, there's not enough of that. People are too lost in their own thing that they don't take a moment to even make eye contact and and, and share a smile or a wave.
1: I remember being in a real dark place when I was younger. I remember being, feeling really isolated and like, if I just have one person that wanted to say hi to me today, that would be great. So when I started running and waving, like, I might be passing that dude who's feeling the same way. And if I throw a wave and he waves back, like, that altered the shape of their day just a little bit. Yeah. Like, somebody waved to him, They're like, somebody acknowledged that they're a person and they're alive. Yeah. And That might have been
0: exactly what they needed.
1: Yeah. And in a little town like Jerome, man, like, now I see familiar faces. I know cars.
0: You're that guy.
1: Yeah. And I used to have all these farmers would pull over because I'd be out in the middle of nowhere, right? In, like, a 20-mile run. And these good old boys pull over, like, you need a ride, man? Are <laughs> <I was laughs> you like, okay? No, I'm not run. They're like they're on, purpose? on purpose. <laughs> like, yeah. And they're like, whatever. And they drive off, like shaking their head. because there aren't that people out running around Gooding County or Jerome County out in the middle of nowhere, just waving their arms and singing along to with like, a smile. Headphones. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love it. Running's given me that too, is especially with like nursing. We see bad things. Mm. But like even with running, your legs might be tired or you're thirsty or whatever. But you get to run, right? Yeah. And nursing's the same way. These bad things happen, but I get to be a nurse. I worked my ass off to get that job and that education and spent the money and incurred debt. And like, I jumped through a lot of hoops, put my family through me going from, cause I had a career. I was a 911 dispatcher. I was good at it. I made pretty good money. Like I had a pretty stable situation. And then I was like, how about I just go back to college? What uh, took you off on the turn? Um, I got back from Iraq and I had, I'd been a dispatcher. And so was my wife. It's where we met. And before I deployed, she'd been offered a promotion and we talked to him a little bit about what's this going to do to our mutual careers and like well, we've worked together for like nine years so if it was going to be an issue it'd be an issue we assume she just beats you in the parking lot as long <laughs> as it's outside work we don't care I'm like cool i got back and applied for promotion they're like oh you can't
0: mm. she's
1: got this position and i was really offended at the time i was like we discussed this they're like oh Sorry. shit changes man hmm. so as in all things i called my mommy <laughs> <laughs> oh, i was like pissed off This is bullshit. And she'd been telling me for a while, because part of the advantage of joining the National Guard was there's educational benefits. Mm -hmm. She's like, you would love nursing. And my grandma told me when I was 18, graduating high school, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, which I s- eventually settled on. I was going to pursue a fine arts degree at BSU and just be a cartoonist for a living. And she was like, maybe you should be a nurse. And I was like, this is stupid, like bossed around by doctors all day. Like, no way. And then I kind of wish I'd listened to her at the same time. I don't know if I had the maturity in my early twenties to yeah. get through nursing school. I barely had the maturity in my thirties to get through
0: nursing school. Tiff and I talk a lot about hindsight. It's easy to look back and say, well, if I would have done this, right. but you wouldn't be the person you are today and have the perspective that you do well, now
1: there's no way I'd be as good as a nurse as I am if I hadn't been a dispatcher. Hmm. Like all these experiences, which kind of dovetails into the whole concept. Like it's all this big tapestry, right? Yeah. Like I get to be who I am today because everything that happened before. I'm a better nurse because of ugly things that happened when I was a kid, because I can relate to kids that are going through ugly things. Yeah. I'm better at talking to people who have suicidal ideation or are struggling because I had suicidal ideation and yeah, I struggled. Yeah, have been there. Yeah, I can share that. So being able to empathize, get back to that, is this huge theme that runs through. And the more you experience good and bad, the more you can share. Because you can sympathize with somebody. Like Menstrual cramps is probably not something I'm going to be able to empathize with. I can <laughs> sympathize, it's going to suck. But if I tell my wife, like, oh, I know how that feels. <laughs> yeah, you've lost all credibility. Like, get out of here. Right? Like, and how egotistical is that? Is right. just to assume that you know how somebody else is feeling. You've never right. been through it. So the more good and bad we experience, the more empathy we can have. That only comes through getting out and experiencing things. I know what it feels like to be super dehydrated on a long run and feel like you have to pee every 30 seconds, but you can't pee because you're having bladder spasms because you're so dehydrated. I know what that feels like. So if somebody comes in and talking to me about it, I'm like, no, I get it. Yeah, Dude, That sucks.
0: You can share a story. And again, then you're immediately building some, some, right. some trust right there. And that's
1: there. the thing is we all have this interconnectivity that mm-hmm. this is waiting to happen. If we can find a way to find that.
0: Yeah. Happen. It's waiting for the communication. It's waiting for the, somebody to start the dialogue, to, to even have the curiosity or again, back to the empathy or the compassion to say, Hey, how are you? And if you're not good, why are you not good? And start, asking those probing questions to actually get a better idea of what they're trying to get across to you.
1: Yeah. Cause we all ask, is there anything I can do? And we mean it, but essentially it's putting the weight on that person. Like you yeah. think of something that I can do for you. Tell me what it is and maybe I'll do it. Yeah. And they're already struggling. So it's better to just share that experience. of What are you going through this? Oh man, I know how that feels. Great point. You have to be careful not to get into that territory of making it about you. Right. Like you don't yeah. want to be self-centered enough to be like, Oh, you're going through that. Well, let me tell you about when it happened to me. But if you're willing to share like, oh man, I, I know that feeling and still maintain that focus on not just them and patronizing, but you as a team.
0: And that goes to the art of the conversation. And that's something that I've ex- explored a lot, even in these dialogues with these conversations is I really struggle with how much do I share in the interaction because the last thing I want to do is steer away. And there is an art to that conversation to your point where it's you're trying to give them safe space and say, not only do I understand and here's why, and give them the the reason, you know, your experience, but then shifting it back around to, okay, I've shared this with you, but it is about you and I want to hear more about you and, and what you're thinking and feeling so I can figure out the best way to help you.
1: Yeah. You're giving them enough where you've got a little credibility. Yeah. And I used to be a lot worse about that. It's something I struggle with sometimes because I get so excited to share, like, oh, dude to that too.
0: Yeah, our favorite thing to talk about is ourselves. Yeah.
1: EMDR helped tremendously with because hmm. I remember friends being like, Dude, it's not about you. At the time I was like, fuck you. <laughs> it is. But then you think about it, you're like, oh shit, like my intention wasn't to me it. my intention was to yeah. share that I understand. But especially you know, hurt people hurt people. And, and when you have that damage, you don't know that you're operating from that context unless somebody points it out for you. And, yeah, that's and great the point. EMDR really helped me create a better context of being okay, being vulnerable. We have this idea that, especially in healthcare professionals, we're supposed to be the knowledgeable ones, right? We always know the answer. And frankly, a lot of times we do because we have the education. When I talk to patients, I try to help them feel like they are the expert on them. I don't know them. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know what their daily life consists of. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of education in medicine and dealing with what they're presenting with. But I think people respond better to acknowledging like, hey, I'm not saying I know you better than you you know you better than me, and I'm listening to your input, but maybe what you're telling me might have more consequences than you realize, or or, or gives me better clues that applies to my education. It's not that I'm saying hmm. no more, because then that was the big thing with COVID.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. And without completely derailing, how did that impact you and change? Because it was a mass exodus in healthcare when COVID hit, because it was like, there wasn't a full understanding of what the experience was like, but you made it through. You seem to have, I don't want to say anybody thrived finding (laughs) their way through. Well, it it may be like, how did you find your way through that? And how did you deal with it? And what did
1: you learn? Well, I had a bit of an advantage. I worked in the ER. ICU got it bad,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: In my experience. And every nurse's experience is different. In mine, where I was at more people died in ICU than died in the ER. And the ER is kind of like, you see a lot of fight club memes because tend to be a little more fast and loose. and, And honestly, it was pretty scary at the beginning Cause you had to wear all this PPE, right? We're in like multiple mm. masks and gowns and nobody knew. The only thing I equate it to is when we're talking to the veteran nurses who were working when the AIDS pandemic hit, right? Cause they didn't know what it was at first. Initially it wasn't called AIDS. It was just, oh, it's in the gay community, which was horrific. You look at the consequences of that is they didn't take that disease seriously because it was this marginalized society. Mm. Whereas COVID was equal opportunity. It's so everybody. it got a lot more attention and it went fast and people were dying and there were so many rumors about how you could get it and what happened. And, and then it became a political thing. You know, the vaccine came out and then holy shit. Yeah. I have no interest in engaging the debate about it too much. I did what I felt was right for me, but I also had the respect. I was in the army when we deployed, they lined us up and gave us a bunch of vaccinations. We we're like, what's this? And they're like, it's shut the fuck up. Next. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay." Like, so when the vaccine came out, I was like, it's probably well, I mean, nothing worse than what the army gave me. <laughs> so, but I didn't fault nurses who were like, I'm not taking that. Yeah. I felt like a lot of them.
0: It was so hard to engage with anybody yeah. because it's hard to be clear that you're not picking a side. Right. It's not right or wrong. It's just different.
1: And what I read into it, as far as the available research that was being published, combined with my own personal perspective and my willingness to take that risk, like I live next to a burn pit in Iraq. I breathed in dead people. I did a PT test with ashes falling on me. Mm, I've God. had worse things in me than an FDA approved vaccine that, yeah, probably got rushed a little bit. But when they're stacking bodies and in, in trailers, you kind of have to, to do the something. Yeah. But I also don't fault the people that were like, I'm not comfortable putting this in my body. Yeah. I can respect that everybody had to make their own individual decision. The only part that got difficult for me was when it became this super political tribal thing of, Oh, you took the vaccine. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. You're a sheep. I heard that all the time. I was a sheep. You can't think for yourself. I'm like, I did think for myself. I just came to a different conclusion than you did. And I had patients arguing with me at the front desk in the ER that COVID isn't real. When 50 feet away from me, there were people dying on a ventilator from COVID. There was a guy, this really happened. This guy's screaming at me like he didn't want to wear a mask. COVID's bullshit. They just made it up. And there was a guy two seats down from him just coughing. He's like, well, I've got it. And it feels pretty real. Hmm. That's what disappointed me so much as I saw. And it wasn't just in patients, you know, nurses. And, and a lot of them, there was a, there was walkouts because it was handled poorly by some people. It, it was that lack of empathy because yeah. from an administrative purpose, they want to protect as many people as they can. They felt okay saying you should have the vaccine. So they mandated it. See a lot of healthcare professionals like, who are you to mandate to me? Right. And rightly so, especially where Americans were fiercely independent. I didn't fault anybody on any side. I just kind of stayed to myself and didn't engage because I did what I felt was right for me and my family.
0: And I'm not, and uh, my smile wasn't because I found any humor. It, it, all I'm thinking is, how many Altoids did you Holy have? Shit. <laughs> how many boxes did you, you have The worst part was wearing the mask and
1: how many Altoids I bopped against the mask <laughs> for. I was oh, like, oh shit, right. Need another one. <laughs> and actually, yeah, COVID saved me a lot of money in Altoids, so I couldn't eat nearly as many because I was head of a mask on. Oh my God. And there is humor. Like that's one of the things from nursing. And I think it's like running is we have this dark sense of humor, right? Yeah. You hear guys laughing and talking about being on ultras running overnight and hallucinating. Oh yeah. If you're the average person, like, hey, you're gonna be so exhausted that you're gonna hallucinate. Not only you're not gonna quit, like, we're gonna laugh about it, and you're just gonna keep going. People out of your goddamn mind. You're here all the time. Oh, you're crazy. I I'm like, feel Sign crazy. me up. Yeah, and that's
0: you're gonna trash your feet. You're not gonna be able to walk for a week. You know, <laughs> oh,
1: God, dude. So right like now, laugh. so you can see my toenail. That's the first one that's ever done that.
0: Really? Ever? Like, because
1: <laughs> I read, I'm like, maybe I'm not a real ultra runner. I've never lost a toenail. And then a few weeks, <laughs> I ran that that 27 miler, something through the canyon. Uh huh. I got almost like, toe hurts. And I was like, oh, I'm a real runner. I did I think it. I'm going to lose did. a toenail. Oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, but where do you think you're
0: going to go with the streak? Is it just going to continue on in oh, yeah. perpetuity? You know, it's- not going to hit 10 years and say, okay, I hit 10 years. I'm going to take a break.
1: No, because there's no appeal to me in taking a day. Yeah being able to run every day isn't like a goal. It's a blessing.
0: Man. Yeah. Like, I'm right there with you. Cause like we talked about, I got back on my streak and it's been well over a year and I haven't missed a day through, you know, every I so. And I absolutely love it. Whatever inclement weather happens to come. I look forward to that it, yeah. it, because it's different. It's something, it's a new challenge. If the snow's a foot deep, like it was, you know, a few weeks back, it's, Okay, now I'm high stepping and it's leg day. Yeah. You know, today we're we're getting wet. Well, you know, I've been through a lot worse. Yeah. You know, it could always be worse. At least
1: it's not raining ice. Kentucky, yeah. it rains ice. Oh, it's the snow in Kentucky, it just shoots icicles from the sky. It's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> it's like daggers.
1: Yeah. I was at Fort Knox. And I remember being like, You guys don't even have good snow here. It's oh really my sucks.
0: gosh. I always equate it back to uh, you know, we were talking about dark times. Um, those points in life were without going too deep into it, I kind of shared a little bit of you know where I was at personally at some points in my life and you know curled up in a ball on the floor it just felt like nothing was worth it anymore yeah. and everything else in context is not that fucking hard and i hate to say it so matter of factly because you know we all have have difficult things that we have to to struggle through and endure but by context to your point it's a celebration every time i get to go out the door yeah. whether it's a short run it's a long run whether it's a race whether it's self-supported and like you i run most of the time alone it's, it's a meditative thing for me yeah. and it's, or it's an adventure. I want to go out and just, I want to look around. I don't want to take my time and I want to experience whatever I happen to have for that day, whether it's, you know, a 25 mile run across town, like you're saying to get a cup of coffee or yeah. whatever it is. It's you come back and you feel like you've accomplished something and you were just in such a better space that everything's a little bit better. Everything's a little bit brighter.
1: Well, and I think, yeah, you know, cause I've been in that same space of nothing's worth it. And the root of that is you're saying, no, I'm not worth it. Mm-hmm. But every day I run, I'm sure I'm worth that. Yeah, right. Like, that's a great I, I, point. And there's so much in our lives that's out of control. Like working in an ER or any job, really, something's going to happen during the day that you can't plan for. You could be on your way to work and somebody runs a stop sign and you get hit. The whole direction of your day has changed. You can't control that. But if I go for a run every day, I have at least some ownership of part of my day. That And my run might change. I might get turned around. I know we're kind of short on time. You want to hear my cool cat story?
0: Oh, we got all the time. You yeah. tell me. So
1: one of the many, many, many benefits I've had from running is I went out to run and it's when I run pretty frequently, it's a little seven miler. I go out to a little blinking light intersection and I come back. It's just an out and back. Normally I hate out and backs, but this one, it's just the right distance for before work and it's familiar and lots of people wave because I've been doing it for years now. So I get a lot of, there's this dude, Jimmy, who drives a mail truck and he'd always just lay on the horn and throw devil horns out the window. Nice. Away. And one day I was headed out before work and, uh, at work nights, this was like you know, four in the afternoon, sunshine. It's beautiful. And in between songs, like I hear this like meowing sound like a yowl. So I stop and I look around I'm like, cause you have to run that many times. Like, you know, it's like, you just, off. if you walk in your house and something's been moved, mm-hmm. you just kind of know something's off. Right. So that's like how familiar that route is. So I stop and look around and this kitten comes out from underneath this bush, like one eye's all boogery and mm. it's kind of dragging itself. I'm like, I can't leave it here. Like it would haunt me.
0: I did that and I brought home a deer. <clears throat> That's right. <laughs> related deeply to that.
1: <laughs> How long ago was that?
0: Oh God, that was, I don't know, eight. Um, no, not even that long ago. Probably six, seven years ago. Right, but you come home with this. Pack that thing down the mountain on my shoulder, put yeah. it in
1: the car, brought it home. Yeah, so I showed up, this kid, and it was probably like two and a half miles into the run. So I scoop it up and it's yelling. So it's obviously hurts. So I'm like, well, I head home with it. And every step it's yelling. So it's like this endless stream of, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. I'll <laughs> stop, I know, like, <laughs> So we get to the house and, it, and our dogs are pretty cat friendly because we had a cat, but I didn't know about an this angry, cat. excited. Yeah. Stranger cat. So I knock and my wife's like, why does it sound like there's a wild animal outside our door? I'm like, look what I found. <laughs> and poor Chris. I'm like, come in. I'm like, Hey, I got to get to work. But we, Here you go. <laughs> we had a kennel. I'm like, so I'm going to put this kitten in the kennel, with a little bit of water. I'll take it to the vet in the morning. Cause the vet's already closed. And she's like, Oh, okay. I'm like, it's got to quiet down. Like it's, we just got to get her comfortable. So I leave for work, come back in the morning. I come inside. And I'm like, hi. She's like, your cat has not stopped since oh you no. left. I'm like, oh shit. I'll take it to the vet. I'm so sorry. So take the vet, drop it off. And they're like, whose cat is it? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I just found on it on the side like, of the street. well, who do we call? I'm like, I guess me or my wife, like just give us a call and <laughs> let me know. I'm going to bed. I've been up all night working. So I'm home to go to bed and I get up that afternoon I come out and fix my coffee my wife's standing there. And I can tell like uh something, she's got something to say. <laughs> I'm like, hey, did the vet call? And they're like, yeah. Your thousand dollar cat's having surgery and it'll be ready to come home in about two weeks. Oh so my gosh. That's your cat asshole. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You just bought yourself a cat. Very expensive cat. Holy shit. So we get her home and she's got a little cast on and she hangs out. And she's still to this day, this is like three years ago. Now if she sits on a counter or ledge, she just drapes that leg. Full mobility, she has no impairment at all, but she still drapes that leg. But when I got we brought her home, Chris is like, This is your goddamn cat. Oh wow. She's like, so we're naming it something to do with you. I don't have anything to do with it this is your problem. Cause she had to stay up all night with it. Right. Like the whole thing. So she named it Ivy, like Ivy.
0: The start mm. Ivy is ours, so
1: we have Ivy and that goes back to like, that's that beauty of running. Right. Is every time I leave the house, that could happen. Yeah. It could be a totally boring run where my legs hurt and I'm just not feeling it. Cause those happen to like every yeah, run is not isn't every, a miracle. Exactly. Sometimes it's just, God damn it, I got to get a few miles in because I know I'll feel better. And And even if you
0: don't feel amazing, you still feel better. And I did. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Even if it sucks, I'll feel better than I did if I hadn't.
0: You know, that's a great point because that's one of the things I love about it is every single day I know I will accomplish something.
1: Or at least I'm making myself available to the opportunity of finding a new kitten. Or yeah. there's been times it came up on crash scenes or, oh, yeah. or saw sunrises that I'm like, not to over romanticize, but generally some of just the aesthetic experiences we have. Yes. Listen to that podcast last night with Ranko, where he's talking about being on top of the mountain, looked at the stars 360 degrees. If he hadn't started running, he never would have seen that. Yeah. And we separate ourselves from the people who have just because we don't go out the door.
0: Exactly. And that's, yeah.
1: that's why every day I run, I'm like, maybe I'll enjoy it. Maybe this will be a totally mundane run, but maybe something amazing could happen. Yeah. And I don't want to take away that opportunity. I spent way too much of my life muddling in fear of change and wanting to control everything. And we overthink all these things yeah. and running, you can plan a run, but it's still mostly reactive. Cause yeah. you know, like this morning we head up the trails, like, well, it's just, they're too wet, they're too greasy. We're going to destroy this trail. Yeah. So we end up running down, an old neighborhood.
0: Let's turn left here. Let's yeah, let's go. Just like hey, you know what? Part? Let's turn back around and go back up this way. That's uh-huh. how
1: adventures happen, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And if we
1: don't go out the door, we never get to have them. Mm-hmm. If I had never
0: we wouldn't have seen the deer yeah, sitting there, want to come over and say hello. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: And we may be the only people on the planet that got to see that this morning. Right. The people that have that house may have never looked out the window. Yeah. So they're gonna live their whole lives not knowing there's a deer hanging out on their front step. <laughs> we know because yeah. we went outside. Yeah, right. Like that's why I love running. And that's and nursing's the same way. It's every single day I get this opportunity to help somebody and it's hugely therapeutic to make yourself vulnerable enough to tell somebody like I'm here to help you and mean it. Yeah. I'm a better person and there's still like, I have so much improvement in these goals that I set. And a lot of it's just like spiritually, I want to be a better and I'm not a religious person at all, but going to Iraq and being around people where religion is such a huge part of their culture. I may not feel that. I may not agree with a lot of it, but I can respect their faith. Yeah. The same way people respect, oh, you guys run every day. Holy shit, that's amazing. Not us. Oh, this is part of do. my day. Yeah. Right? It's like saying, oh, you tie your shoes every day, <laughs> you brush your teeth every day, which not everybody does. Like, I'm sure you've <laughs> got plenty of patients that missed the boat on that one. But <laughs> if you make these extraordinary things as part of your day, they are they don't have to be extraordinary. They get to be the ordinary, wonderful things.
0: Which actually, it's something I've been thinking is we're having this discussion and uh, I'm, you know, watching your mannerisms is you're, you're sharing all these amazing things. It ties into something that I think is absolutely beautiful about you is knowing where we were when we were younger and seeing where you're at now that truly it's beautiful about you is how absolutely authentic you are. There is no pretense or false bullshit. Like you are just fucking comfortable with who you are in the skin you're in and Part of this whole experience to me is all about authenticity because we all struggle with it so much and there's no effort on your part. You are just truly authentic and who you are and happy with it and comfortable with it. And I wish, I wish I had more of that, to be honest with you. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. It just, it floors me, man.
1: Thank you. First of all, thank you. Um, And I think authenticity comes from I genuinely love a lot of the things I do. Like there's a lot of things about myself. Like, you know, it is like, there's a lot of internal things that you want to fix. Yeah. Right? If you are genuinely doing that, that self-examination with the goal in mind of being better and not just being self-critical and punishing yourself. If it's a goal of critiquing, not criticizing, there's mm. a big difference. Right. Yeah. And I think if we can find the joy in it, because you choose to do it, right? Can you imagine running an ultra with somebody who just bitched the whole time about how they hate running? Like, why'd you sign up for this? Now? Yeah,
0: I'd create distance. Like,
1: you have the opportunity to find joy in really miserable things. Like, you find a lot, especially in the ER, emergency medicine, this is bullshit. This patient doesn't need to be here. You have the same thing as a dispatcher people. This is a bullshit call. They shouldn't have called one, And yet we tell people, if you have an emergency... Call 911 or go to the emergency department. Yeah. We train them since they're kids. If you have a problem that you cannot help and you need help in an absolute emergency where there's no this one is else to turn you do. to, come to us and then we'll treat you like shit for it. Mm. And I see how it happens, man. I do. But I also have been really fortunate enough to have the context of being able to like, yeah, they're here for ankle pain, which means I'm an IV. Nobody's gonna die. They're probably mm. not gonna poop on me. <laughs> <This is laughs> no gonna be poop so in easy. your pocket. <laughs> yeah, like find the joy in what you do, and that's where it comes back. to And the we moment. all
0: have the opportunity to change if we if we choose to.
1: You're gonna embrace either a sedentary life where all this experience goes by outside, or you can stand in it. And yeah. Some of it's gonna suck. There are gonna be days that it rains, and every trail leads up. Yeah. Forever. But I'm thinking of all the runs, seeing the sun come up down at Zion. Yeah. I wouldn't have done nothing like it. No. 15 years ago, like cool. I played video games today. And I remember that was a a fulcrum point for me when I, when I really started getting into running was, you know, I like sitting around as much as the next guy, but I do. I want to spend the day playing video games where at the end of the day, nothing in the universe is different from me being here. Or I can go for a run and I can find a cat or I can wave at somebody. And if I wave a hundred people and one waves back, like I'm relevant. Right. Yeah, And if I, if I never choose to do anything, then I, I never choose to be anything. Yeah.
0: But you got to get out and get in the game. Yeah,
1: man. That's where everything's happening. That's
0: it. All right, brother. Well, we're going to wind this thing down. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions here. Please. Um, I know that you're a huge music fan as well. Uh, So I want to ask you if your life was, uh, had a musical playlist, what would be the title track?
1: All right. So I go hard forever long, man. Yeah, I'm a food guy I remember seeing them live was like a life changing thing. Amazing, yeah. I took my son, it was like one of his first big shows. My wife took him to see 21 Pilots, but his first like rock show because that's the thing. The food fighters that's like old, like you think of rock bands, right? Like Day they roll. are the quintessential, yeah. like
0: rock band, yeah.
1: Um, but it's hard, man. Like, why it, that song because it jams, but it's beautiful. We talk about the whole tapestry thing, it's the same thing with music. Like, I got a pretty wide array when I throw on my headphones, right.
0: Yeah, that would be a, another discussion that yeah. we're going to have to dive into at I'm some point here.
1: Juvenile enough that I like Bloodhound Gang. Oh, dude. yeah. But I also like love the blues, listen to John Lee Hooker a lot, yeah. Carl Burnside, but Rage Against the Machine, man, I was hard. Oh, guy, yeah. Hard rage. And then it goes back to like, what mood am I, what emotion am I in? Yeah. But as far as an anthem. Everlong. Like Danger Zone, dude. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Love it. But Top Gun, when I was a kid, right? Yeah. Coolest movie ever. But I noticed after a while, there's a lot of songs about running.
0: And maybe it's just that we're paying attention to it, especially if you're out on a run. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, because I I hear that too all the time. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah.
1: But I also, like, if I'm having a hard day, man, not to blow sunshine, but Coco Pele Flight Avoid, because those are comfort blankets, right?
0: Uh, Well, it's as much a part of your story as it is mine.
1: But I have the added benefit of, when I listen to those bands, I hear the voices of my friends. Oh, interesting! So I hmm. hear Joel Climb's voice, not just singing, but I think of all the times everything else that comes on along the with porch, it. Drinking beer—that's not an emotional like I'm wrapping myself in a warm blanket because I know everybody. Like that's just one of those comfort yeah. items.
0: Well, thank you. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, so many memories. Right. With that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and not all music—it's just that fraternity. It just—that's
0: it's the trigger. Yeah. 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 That's oh, I love that. All right, and I'm going to ask you this last one here, which I'm really interested in your answer because I wasn't just blowing smoke. I, I think it's absolutely amazing, the, the, the man that you've become and the person that loves life as much as they do sitting across from me. Um, and so my last question is, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind?
1: I talk about empathy a lot because it's one of those things that people miss and it, it's so simple. But the legacy I want to leave behind is I want people to have felt cared about And I hope that I inspire them to want to help someone else. And more now than ever, as I go on, it gets stronger Is if you can find that sincere joy of knowing that someone's life's just a little bit better because you were part of it for just a minute. That's hugely rewarding. Like I'm not that altruistic. I'm, I'm not that good of a guy where I just love making everybody else happy. Like it makes me happy to do that. Like I get endorphins, like I get dopamine from my job The same as running. Like everybody talks about the runner's high. There is such a thing as like compassion high, Mm -hmm. empathy high. Like genuinely helping someone, not because it benefits you, but because it benefits them, which rewards you. And if I can leave a legacy of people learning that feeling and help try and inspire new nurses or some of the kids at Adaptive or the kids on my speech team or just people I ran into, there's no better feeling than somebody saying, I helped somebody because you made me look at it differently. Like that's a huge legacy. Right. And that carries on. If people that I helped are helping others that continues on, that's like a ripple effect. Yeah. It never stops. People that never will ever heard of me that it was never even a factor in their life. will have a little bit better because I helped somebody who was able to help them. Like that's huge. That's the legacy that I think I want to shoot for is I want to be the guy that helped people.
0: I love that man. Yeah. And I, uh, again, it, speaks volumes to your character because it's truly it's who you are it, it really is and i absolutely love that about you man thanks man yeah thank you for taking the time yeah and uh we're definitely gonna have to do this again
1: oh yeah absolutely
0: all right brother thanks dude yeah we'll talk again soon That's it. I want to extend a sincere thank you to my good friend and guest, Trevor Churchman. And as always, I would also like to extend my sincere appreciation to you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Run from the Norm podcast. I hope you were entertained. And most of all, I hope you found value in this conversation. I know I did. You can find more episodes on your favorite streaming platform, and you can also learn more by typing in www.runfromthenorm.com into your preferred web browser. Remember, getting outside for even 15 to 20 minutes a day can do wonders for your mental health, and our mission with everything we do is to motivate with compassion, listen without judgment, inspire with curiosity, one person at a time. I hope we have succeeded. Thanks again for listening and watch for the next episode of the Run From The Norm podcast coming soon. Stay authentically you and get outside and run from the norm. Check that mic, make sure it sound right, boy.